Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 94. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to stop in with me on this episode. Uh, perhaps if this is your first time, I welcome you. I hope that the Lord uh, uses it, uh, speaks to you, uh, inspires you. Um, what a precious thing it is to seek and search out in His Word, um, to discover His Word. So I pray this is a blessing, um, and I want to welcome all of uh, my friends across uh, the country, uh, in different countries. Um, I'm thankful that the Lord has connected this to so many different places, um, and uh, it's just been a blessing to to see that grow. So I want to thank you. So today we are just going to kind of be organic. Um, I have nothing prepared. I'm actually just going to trust the Lord that what he wants to say and what he wants to show will just come out in in our moment together. I don't plan this to be a very long episode uh, by any means. And as I begin to just think about what could what could I speak on or what could we what could we review or share together? Um, I opened uh, to the the book of John, and it's where I'm actually currently just doing some personal reading in. And uh, chapter 11 uh, and the story of Lazarus kind of jumped out at me. This is one that you may be very familiar with, or perhaps if, um, if the Bible is maybe newer to you, then you may not be familiar with it. Um, either way... Whether you are extremely familiar or not, or couldn't tell you any aspect about the story, there is, I believe, a plethora of things to discover by way of the Holy Spirit. One in my in the one of the recent gatherings that that I hosted and had, which by the way, I would love for you all to just when you find the time and you you think about me. Um, I just ask that you pray for what God wants to do uh, in this warehouse that uh, that I have people who uh, who want to come and join. Um, I try to ho- have them every other Friday night, and uh, so if you just think about me and think uh, or think about this podcast, I just ask that you just you know say a quick prayer that God would multiply what He is doing there, um, and that people would come to encounter God, that they would be filled with expectation and hope, that they would meet him there. And I believe he wants to do a powerful work in both um, teaching, equipping, but also in worship and prayer, encountering him is at the forefront of his heart for a people. So um, if you wouldn't mind, I would appreciate and value your prayers um, but one of the things that when I, when I spoke on Friday, one of the things that kind of impressed in me was how important is our Bible, the, the word of God? 
it's a treasure and is so important because with a word that is written, it's much more difficult to misportray it. I don't know if that's a, a, a great way to say it. Um, think about Adam and Eve. Think about Eve when, when Satan uh, went to her and said, Did God really say, do not eat of this tree or you will die? As you recall that, the devil said, did God say that? Now, we know that Eve and Adam had no written word of God at this point. And Eve's response is interesting because in her response, she said, he said, you will surely, you will surely die um, if you eat of it. And then she adds in or touch it. Now, that's not what God said if you look closely at his commandment, but she adds that in. So, but remember, she didn't have it written down necessarily. So, how valuable is God's word to us as it is written? Because it helps, it helps to be a compass for us. Many things in life may may come at us and have us it can feel like a whirlwind of of things happening. But God's word helps us stay navigated correctly. It's it's like the north star in the sky where you can find your orientation. So God's word is so important because it allows us to stay grounded, to stay anchored, to stay pointed in a direction. And so I would just encourage you as as you have access to the Bible, to God's Word, appreciate it. And, and if you find yourself in this place, because you see, I never... Only in the past four years, really, have I had a such an intense desire to know God, both in intimacy, but also through His Word, to study and hunger, to, to grow, to know Him more. And, and we can do that through the God-inspired text that was penned by the hand of man. This is a way that we can come to know him. This is a way that we can come to know his heart. And so it's such a critical component to the Christian life. Sometimes we get caught in this thinking of it's it's one extreme or the other. Some people fall into the trap of the kind of sensory experience of Christianity, the emotional component of Christianity. But then they will disconnect from, from what we have, the tangible relationship of God with, with in, by way of the Bible, by way of Scripture. And then some folks will tend to, to skew towards Scripture only, disconnecting from the relational um, sensory 
experience or encounter with God. But, but see, he is, he is both of those things. So we must be grounded in Scripture while embracing the sensory experience. When I say sensory, you know, the hearing, seeing, um, touching, feeling, all of these sensories we have, we can experience God in those ways. And so, but because of our fear of how things can uh, go awry, we may, you may have yourself seen that type of thing happen, um, or, or at the very least, maybe heard of it, where things become fleshly and people can be deceived in how they think and understand. So it's important we must stay grounded, and we can do that through the Scripture because we know that it is God-inspired and divinely written through human beings, through, through mankind. So not disconnecting from the senses while holding to the tangible, uh, precious value of God's Word in the Bible. So that's quite a uh, prelude to the text here, um, and perhaps um, arguably the whole point of this episode. Um, however, I will not neglect to, to read some and discuss uh, here in this story of Lazarus. So, we are in John chapter 11, and we'll just read some until we get to an ending point. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, that's, that's kind of, that's an interesting phrase that just kind of captures me. The sisters, so that would be Mary and Martha, they sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, that's funny because John refers to himself, the disciple John, refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So John has a revelation of, of what we'd call beloved identity. He is loved of God, uh, God in the person of Jesus Christ. So John has a revelation that he is loved. And we see here, too, that the sisters, all they need to tell Jesus is, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, that's, you would think that's kind of vague, but Jesus would know exactly who they're referring to. And it's just, to me, it's, it speaks to the, the unique intimacy that we can have one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. It's, it's almost like it, we get to think, we all get to think, I'm his favorite. <laughs> and, 
And in, and in an aspect of that is absolutely true. We each one get to have this wonderful revelation, this, this wonderful thought that, that we are his favorite. And simultaneously, that is true, somehow miraculously, obviously. So that was enough for him to know um, who exactly they are talking with. And not only that, but, but the sisters, Mary and Martha, they themselves knew that Jesus loved Lazarus. So there was this, there was this multifaceted relationship. There, there was a love from between Lazarus and Jesus, Jesus to Lazarus, but then an a observational uh, reality that Mary and Martha had. They could look on their relationship and know that Jesus loved Lazarus. So that's pretty powerful. Verse four: When he heard this, Jesus said, "This sickness will not end in death." No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, that's fascinating to think about. Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know that indeed death does come for Lazarus. But Jesus says the sickness will not end in death. Well, in the physical sense, it actually, you know, it very much did. The sickness, eventually Lazarus died. So the sickness ended in death in one regard. However, we know that wasn't the end of the story for Lazarus because when Jesus stepped into the scene, his, at his word, life and death had to respond because he, remember, Jesus says this to, to Martha when he said, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, of course he will. I know he will in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus quickly corrects her theology, her eschatology, <laughs> the study of the end of things. He corrects this quickly and he says, no, no, Martha, you're, you're Martha. I am the resurrection. You know, it it um, it that it challenges me to think about how often do we do we look at um, situations or or outcomes or certain things, even through the lens of Christianity, even through the lens of of perhaps right thinking or good intentioned thinking as it relates to even our religious life. And how many times have we focused on the wrong thing? And Jesus tries to correct Martha's perception. She, she knows there's hope. There's hope in an end point via the resurrection. Oh yes, he will rise again. He will come back to life. I will see him again. I have that hope. But Jesus quickly and abruptly tries to correct the her thinking to say no. Hope 
is standing right here in front of you. You have access to something in me, which is life, which is resurrection. The one who believes in me, Jesus says, will live even though they die. It's right. This is it's hard to grasp in some regards. You know, whoever he says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, here in this moment in verse four, Jesus tells tells the sisters the word the word that was sent by the sisters, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And I mentioned that this is fascinating because this sickness, when you piece this together, this sickness is for God's glory. Now that's, that's also kind of interesting because a lot of times... Depending on what, um, I guess, sphere of influence you're connected to, what sh- kind of what stream of um, biblical teaching, that may be a peculiar thought to you, that sickness could be for God's glory. A lot of times we hear things like, you know, sicknesses. Uh, sickness or illness, whatever's from the devil, um, healing, freedom, deliverance. You know, he was bruised for our iniquities. Um, This is from, you know, God, God took upon himself the punishment, bore our sickness. And so we think, oftentimes we think that Illness is is not of God. Sickness is not of God. It is not um, a positive thing. And but here we see that this sickness is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now we think to ourselves, well, how can that be? Now, this is this is important to grasp. We may not understand exactly what God's doing in in a season, in a moment. Th- these things that are occurring in our lives, we we may not be able to, and oftentimes we are not able to see ab- above the fence to see what's happening on the other side. Our vision to to see what God is doing uh, is not complete. And we may get we may get snapshots, we may get pieces, he may even give us a more fuller story, but oftentimes we have to walk by faith and and so in the story of Lazarus, we know he would ultimately die, but um, then he would come, Jesus would call him back from the dead. He would raise him back to life by a word. Now, 
he, let's see, what was it? Uh, he'd been, he'd been dead for four days. So, you know, this, you know, pardon the expression, he was good and dead. There, there was no question of whether he was, he was physically, truly dead. You know, he'd been dead in there for four days, and they were concerned that by this point there would be a odor for he had been there so long. And Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? You know, when I think about this word glory, it's all, you know, the glory of God, the glory of the Lord. It's a fascinating word, glory, to think on. I've, I've come to a place where when I think of this word, I understand it this way. When I think of the glory of God, it's, it's, I understand it as the manifestation of God. Now, just because God isn't glorif isn't manifested doesn't mean he's not all in himself glorious. He can be glorious and yet not be manifested. So don't don't think that's exclusively that. But one way that I can make I guess in my own thinking, a little bit of clarity around things like when he's, when Jesus says, you will see the glory of God. What exactly is that entail? I mean, is it some spectacular light show that's radiant and just, um, just so revelationary? I, I think it simply can be something as easy as you will see the manifestation of God's power, God at work. He will manifest himself in some way, in some form, some shape. And he does this by demonstrating the life-giving power of Jesus. So he calls Lazarus forth to come out, and the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, I won't really unpack this, but I think it's, it is interesting because some of this language we see in Jesus and his death and burial and then ultimate resurrection, we see some of this same kind of language. There's there's talk of you know this cloth that had was laid to the side, strips of linen. So when I read this, it's almost kind of foreshadowing that which which Christ would experience. I can't help but think too that as Jesus is going through this moment, walking to the tomb where Lazarus would be, you know, thinking in his heart of what he's about to do, about to raise Lazarus to life. Roll away the stone, he says. Take away the stone. I, I can't help but think that in this moment that, that Jesus is encountering, he is, it's almost like his own picture of his life is unfolding before his eyes. 
you know, God, he is all knowing. So he, he knows what's happening, what's going to happen. He knows his destiny. He knows the things in which the father is speaking to him to do and to say. But I can't help but think that the, maybe the, the feelings or the emotions that would be running through him during this moment as he looks into the future of what is coming uh, to his life in what is coming and even and even beyond when when Lazarus is called to life you know, Jesus encountering that emotion of death unto life um, it, it's a beautiful thing. And so um, I guess just kind of in closing, um, th- the Bible is such a treasure trove of precious, um, precious stones, if you will, to discover. You know, all the valuable, all these things of value we find underneath the surface. You know, precious, precious stones and and diamonds and and even oil and all these things we we find below the surface and and that's one of the things that I so much appreciate in the Bible is the ability the opportunity to go and explore and to discover those hidden treasures and even even the things that are just right there on the surface for us to grab the journey of discovering that is something that has forever marked me and I pray forever marks you. So I think this is where we will end it. I, I pray that my ramblings here were um, inspired of the Lord. I pray that they ministered to you in some way. And uh, I want to thank you for taking the time. And we will see you on the next one. If it God means bless. I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you. And in your house I hold